It was interesting when the pastor was preaching this morning because, and, and it happens with individuals who preach the word. A lot of times, pastor will be preaching something, and then maybe you're preaching later on, and you're going, oh my. Um, because the message tonight is about fear. And of course, knowing that you're going to preach, you start your message, or you look for the nuggets. And um, actually, some of my nuggets uh, have come from seeing Olivia, um, a little granddaughter, around here more recently and seeing the little girl that she's becoming. Um, because it's hard to believe that in July 31st that she'll be two years old. Uh, just, it's crazy. But um, I have this uh, paragraph, or it's, it's a sentence or two, um, and it was penciled 500 years ago. Um, and it says, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Okay, and I know some of you have heard that before. Uh, it's not a scripture, but it says, My life has been filled with misfor- or terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. And the message is Knowing Jesus. The title of the message is Knowing Jesus will destroy anxiety. Now, first of all, we need to take a look at the word anxiety. So, I have the definition of anxiety. It's fear or nervousness about what might happen. It's a painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. An abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear often marked by psychological signs as sweating, tension, increased pulse, by doubt concerning the reality and the nature of the threat, and by self-doubt about one's capacity to cope with it. Now, notice the words, and by self-doubt about one's capacity to cope with it. Ones, you, me, I. We don't cope with it anyways. It's not ours to cope with. Amen? It's actually the Lord's. It's God's to cope with. It is God's to cope with. Because if what we go through in life, the curveballs, the roads... The directions that life will take us, that we have to cope with that, we have to control that, we have to be the ones that that make the decisions, we are going to be most miserable, amen? But reality is, the reality is that it's all God's anyways. It's God that is going to cope with it. It's God that's going to direct our paths. It's God that's going to go ahead and hit the curveballs, not us. Amen? Amen. If you were here this morning, uh, or if we were here this morning, pastor preached using 
uh, a scripture from Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And he used other scriptures that will line up with some of the scriptures that we're going to use tonight. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Pastor used that scripture this morning. He used that scripture. I have another scripture. Luke 12, verses 4 through 7. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he had killed, after he had killed, have power to cast into hell. Yeah, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But every, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the many sparrows. You are of more value than the many sparrows. Now, a few moments ago, I used the, uh, the quote up here that my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Now, there's also a saying that says, uh, 90% of what we worry about never happens. And re- realistically, if you look that up, it says 85%. A lot of people throw out the word 90%. But statistically, when you do the data and they've done all the research, they say 85% of what we worry about never, ever comes to fruitation, never, ever happens. Never happens. So, as I read Luke 12, 4 through 7, I want to share with you our value to God is beyond measure. Our value to God is beyond measure. Now, this morning we were told that um, we need to fear God. We were told that by the pastor reading scripture. Amen? And it's interesting how we fear everything but God. We fear everything in this world but the one we should fear, which is God. And so in that, we go back to the word anxiety and the meaning of anxiety. And we see the worry. We see that the word anxiety actually talks about fear. And we also know that scripture tells us that we should not have the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But most of us live in a fear. Pastor said this morning, most of us fear the word cancer. Many of us fear a lot of different things. But what I want to go back to is the value that we are to God. If we follow Jesus' advice to fear only God, we come to this intriguing question. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? The Greek actually says to Assyria, 
which were Roman coins made of copper and together were worth about one-eighth of a day's wage for a laborer during that time. It would take roughly half an hour's worth of work to earn enough to pay or to buy a sparrow at the market. A day laborer could earn enough to buy a sparrow without breaking a sweat. Without even breaking a sweat. And yet Jesus assures the disciples in Scripture, God remembers each sparrow individually. That's what Scripture says. He remembers each sparrow individually. If we are to think about this in a proper way, we need to look up. Because what what does Scripture tell us to do? Look at what? The sparrow. Later says, look at the ravens. So if we're to do this, we need to look up. We need to look up. Look up at the birds. But what do sparrows have to do with the preceding command to fear God, not man? This question about sparrows, which touches on our beyond, touches on our beyond measure value in God's eyes, follows his commands not to fear man, but God, and it is followed by one more command, not to be afraid. It says, fear not. Fear not. Now, Jesus still says to us, you have more value than many sparrows. More value than many sparrows. So, we have to try to make that compute in our minds today. Thinking about this fact straight from the lips of Jesus should give us an unshakable courage, an unbelievable courage. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again touches on the characteristics of birds. Matthew 6, 26 says this, Look at the birds of the air, he says. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The answer is obvious. Yes. Yes, we are. We are more valuable than they. You are. But many times we find ourselves doubting that. Doubting. Now, simply this. If we cast our lot with God, he will not forget us no matter how insignificant we appear. He's not going to forget about us. He's not going to forsake us. No matter how little we feel. In fact, Jesus assures his fearful disciples in Luke, God knows the very number of hairs on our heads. The very number of hairs on our heads. Now, it's pretty interesting to me probably more interesting to me than you when it comes to hair and heads, okay? Um, Because when I teach, I talk about different things when it comes to hair, correct? Talk about texture, density, and density, I always teach the students, try to get them to realize what density means. Density is how many hairs per square inch you have on your head. Okay, so I always tell them it's a number of I always tell them it's the number of trees in the forest. That's what I tell them. So it's the number of hairs on your head per square inch. 
And for the majority of people, that's pretty phenomenal. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Okay? You, let's put it this way. Normally, we can't do it. Do you understand that? So you understand how majestic that is, that God knows the very number. That's pretty, I think that's pretty cool. That's unbelievable. He created us. Nothing about us or our frazzled, messed up life surprises God, ever. But it normally surprises us. Never surprises God. He knew it before it even happened. God has things under control and can be trusted completely in the face of any difficulty. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Amen? It's true. Now, I put this in here and yeah, sometimes when you bring family into things, you're like, oh, even for Olivia, Jessica and Dustin, even for Olivia. Um, I've watched my daughter struggle with anxiety, depression, bewilderment, and brokenness. About her daughter's, and I put the technical word here, chromosomal condition. But I've also seen God bring light, love, and joy to what many consider a dark path. <laughs> An unbelievable dark path for many. I've seen love. I've seen joy. I've seen a peace. Um, it was weeks ago. I walked in the sanctuary and Jessica walked in with her in the back and she went, Hi, Papa. It was like, she, she just said that. Um, word after word after word. And things that she's doing. See, due to God's common grace, no one exists in the extreme of complete brokenness. You get that. Because of God's common grace... She's not still in the extreme of brokenness. She's not. See, she sees a difference. She sees a difference. Now, due to God's common grace, no one exists in the extreme of complete brokenness. Only when you go through the fire... Not over it, not around it, but through the fire, do you see the purification? Do you see um, the gem, the real? Amen? Due to the fall of man, no one enjoys the extreme of complete blessing. Do you understand that? Because of the fall of man... No one 
No one, no matter what your eyes see on the outside, no one exists in the extreme of complete blessing. We think that because see what happens. We see what we want to see or what we think. But it's not the extreme of complete blessing. Here's why. We all experience some mixture of the two in every aspect of our life in humanity. Because see, Scripture tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. You have... There's no way around it that they question what did what did we do? What did we do wrong? What did I do wrong? No matter what situation it is in someone's life, you might question and say, but why? See, God has a mixture just right for each of us to seek him and show forth his glory. He has the mixture just right. Notice I said he does. We don't. You imagine if we were mixing? Mm-hmm. Right? If we were mixing, neither. Okay. He has the mixture just right for each of us to seek him and show forth his glory. Neither too much blessing to make us forget him, nor too little to make us curse him. Just to write them out. Proverbs 38 9 says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and take him the name of my God in vain. Many times we find ourselves fearing the future. And we remember this morning, the message was, we're just fear God. We're not to fear everything that we fear, but to fear God. As scripture tells us, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But then we read in the scripture earlier that pastor used that we're to fear him, meaning God. Sometimes our primary fear isn't from without, but it's from within. It's not from without, it's from within. We knew God is both powerful and good and can protect us from others, but we are anxious about ourselves. Think about that. We're anxious. We're worried about ourselves. Most of the time because we're, we're pretty into ourselves as individuals. We're pretty selfish individuals. Amen? We are. If we're honest with ourselves, we are. Somehow, we think we still have the power to mess things up ourselves. We think we have... The power to mess things up ourselves. We fear that we cannot provide for ourselves. That we can get into messes that even God cannot clean up. Think about that. See, there's nothing that we can get into that God can't get us out of. 
Ultimately, we think our well-being and that our families is up to us, and such thinking paralyzes us. I find myself at the altar going, and I've said in the past before, wait a minute, how did I get here? How did I get here, listen, again? Maybe it's more for men, I don't know. But it's probably not. Luke 12, 22 through 31. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry about your life. Don't be concerned about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body. What you will put on. For life is more than food, and a body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. And really, before I even go more into what I have written down here, I just want to go back to, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life. Don't be concerned about your life. But we are. We're worried about our lives. We're concerned about our lives. We've got everything mapped out, everything planned out. What you will eat. We're thinking about what we're eating tonight in the morning. Think about that. And sometimes not only today, but we're thinking, okay, next Friday, next set, I'm next Friday, I know where I'm eating. It's true. Nor about your body, what you will put on. You know, and I was thinking about that. Because, because if we think about what we will put on, um, I mean, we are, we are crazy when it comes to like clothes and things like that. And you know what? Prob- probably the chief center here, okay, when it comes to that. But I think about how... You go back to, like, if you're watching an old TV show or a program, and you don't even have to do that. If you see houses that are older, how small the closet space is, you know. Um, I, I mean, they, they may have had, uh, years ago, three outfits may have been pushing it, okay. Three outfits would have been pushing it. And as Pastor mentioned this morning, and again, remember, this message was started prior to hearing the message this morning. But as the pastor mentioned this morning, he talked about trend and what we, you know, we, girls have to look a certain way. They got to dress a certain way. And even if it goes against what they truly believe, same way with guys, okay, whatever it is that we're doing or we're looking at or we're working on or we want to dress like, okay. The, the point I'm trying to make is what you will put on. I mean, I worry about that. And I'm thinking, what? Why are you worried about what you're putting on? For life is more, get this, our life is more than food and the body more than clothing. It's so much more than that. So much more than that. I've heard Bruce say, you know, life was lean and no work and this was going on and that was going on. And he, he jokingly says, Look at me. I didn't lose any weight. We, it's true. We, we don't, okay? And we don't know what need is. We really, really don't. We think we do. 
But we don't know what need is. We don't know what true need is. And it goes on to say, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. For us, what we really need is to understand that God wants to feed us. God wants to clothe us. God wants to be our provider. He wants to be so much more than that. It goes on and says, Oh, how much more value are you more than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious or worrying about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If you know the splendor and the majesty and the array of Solomon, and Scripture saying even Solomon in all of his splendors not arrayed like that. Not arrayed like that. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? We are a people of little faith. But I'm always reminded that pastor says, this is all you need. That's all you need, the size of of that mustard seed. But see, we like to see we like to see things. We like to see things. Prove it. That's what we prove it. That's what we want. Prove it, God. Can you imagine us saying to God, "Prove it." Sometimes he probably wants to say, "Yeah, I'll prove it." And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. See, we're blinded by what passes as reality. Whatever's going on in our life, that's reality. That's reality for Pastor. That's reality for Bruce. That's reality for me. That's reality for Jessica and Dustin. It's reality for Dana and Shauna and for their family. We're blinded of what passes for reality. We become mesmerized with our own lives, our bodies, and our own spans of life. Rightfully so. Rightfully so over here. But what happens is, it's really not reality. It's really not. We are blinded by that because it's passing as reality. As if we are free agents trying to get through a dangerous world best we can. Notice best we can. Because we can't get through this world. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. Goes with the analogy, not really the analogy, but what pastor is saying today about the stick. 
We can't do it. What we believe is reality is really us buying in to the fear. What we believe is reality is really us buying into the fear. If, if, if I would ask Dana what all went through his mind about his situation, I mean, it, did any of that happen, Dana? Do you have a job, Dana? Did God provide? Amen. Was he your protector? Absolutely. If I would say to my daughter and to Dustin, do you? Th- I know. I don't. I'm not going to say. I know what she said. I heard her words. And now I see that little girl reaching out for her mommy, kissing on her mommy. I saw her the other day trying to put her legs up on the couch. I saw her tormenting her little brother, or her bigger brother. But see, I guarantee you, prior to that, you were blinded by what you thought was reality. Blinded by what we think is reality, and it's really not. Or we fear that no matter what God has promised in his word, we are somehow different. It's not going to happen for us. He's, I'm to this or I'm to that and he's not going to do it for me. Or it's bigger than he is. That even if the Lord can keep chaos and check for other believers, he can't for me. He can't keep it out of my life. But that's not true. Because see, again, you're buying into the fear. You're buying into the worry. We fear that our mistakes are special and beyond the power and the reach of God. And you know, sometimes we make mistakes. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes when that takes place and that happens, we do have to live in the consequences. It doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean he's... Not there. This is, when we feel that way, when we fear that our mistakes are special and beyond the power and reach of God, spiritual conceit. That's what it is. It's a spiritual conceit. We forget who we belong to. Does that make sense? We forget who we belong to. And that's what I meant by many times I, I go, wait a minute. How did I get here again? How did I get here again? (laughs) I know who I belong to. You know who you belong to. We, We don't belong to ourselves. We think we do. And we live like we do. After introducing the disciples to the sparrows, Jesus moves on to the ravens. Just as we are... Of more worth to God than the sparrows for which he cares for. So are we more valuable than the ravens that he feeds. If God feeds them, he's going to feed us. Amen. If God feeds the ravens, he's going to feed us. God care, God's care is not theoretical. It's intensely practical. Now let me relay a little bit on that. See, when I teach, I teach a theory and I teach a practical. Okay. And... 
The problem with theory is you don't touch it. You're not living in it. You're not doing it. It's not happening. It's theory. It's just there. You're teaching it or you're hearing it, but you're not getting it. Do you understand what I'm saying here about it's not theory, it's actual practical? God feeding you, God clothing you, God providing for you, God being your protector, God being your shield. It's not something that's up here that's theory, it's real. It's real, it's happening, it's alive. And see, what happens is, when I teach theory, this is what the kids do about hair in theory. And you know, just a few minutes into it, excuse me, no, what I do is I toss something over close to them. Get your head up, okay? Theory. It's the theory of how you're going to cut hair. That's boring, okay? Guess what I do? I mix it up. Actually, I do it totally opposite. I teach theory after I already put them in a practical classroom. Because, see, when I put a comb in her hand and I say, now comb the hair, comb the hair, they just start combing the hair. They don't even know how to comb hair. I mean, there is a proper way to comb hair. Then I put the shears in her hands. You should see the shears in her hand. They just want to go, they just want to start cutting, okay? There's, a, there's something called a moving blade and a steel blade. The steel blade never moves. The moving blade does. And what happens is I teach them, just, just stand there and do that. And I make them put their arms out for a long time like this. And they're like, and I go, no, 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 get it back out there. Because that's what you're going to do all day long. And then what happens is they start cutting and they start seeing things. And then I, I say to them, you know what you just did? You held the hair at a zero degrees. Zero degrees down here. That's the theory part of what you just did. You see what happened? It's blunt. Now, pull it out 90 degrees and cut it, and it makes the hair light and limpy and airy. And they're like, oh. But if you teach the theory part first, they're going, so I do it the opposite. The opposite. So what I'm trying to say to you is what God does is not theory. It's practical. It's real. He implements that into our lives. We just need to see it and live in it. In 1 Kings 17.6, And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. See, if we know anything about Elijah, we know that he was depressed and frightened. He was running for his life. And he was in need. He was in need of food. And God provided. Practically, he provided. It was real. It happened. It's not a story. It's not theory. He provided. God doesn't play games. He's not going to promise and not deliver. That's what we do. We promise and we don't deliver. God promises and then he delivers. His care involves real physical stuff, okay? His care involves real physical stuff, such as food and the necessities of life. 
Many times, oh, go over this way. Because when Benny died, part of me inside and wasn't my child and hadn't even been in a family that, that long. But you still hurt and you ached. But there was no way that I could hurt and ever ache like they were hurting and aching. But at the same time, as much as as years went on, as much as I maybe, I'll use the word despised, didn't like, and it was the God in them and God in him that I didn't like, I couldn't ever deny I would be crazed. You would have to have wrapped me up in a, and put me away. But that wasn't happening. So I couldn't deny what was going on. Even though I, I did deny it, okay? But I knew that it was God that was keeping the parts together, keeping everything together. In Jessica's life and in Dustin's life, with Olivia, I think I shared this before. These arms couldn't do it. For the first time, you know, for the first time, I couldn't fix it. Only God was going to be the provider, the fixer. The one who made a difference. I couldn't say anything. It was falling on deaf ears. It had to be God. It had to be God intervening. It had to be her getting a hold of God. It had to be God providing. Now, I use the word food and raiment. Sustenance. Whatever it is that we need, it's God that provides. I said... He, his care involves real physical stuff. Whatever it is that you need, that's what God has to provide. Whatever it is that you need, such as food and even the necessities of life. When one is laid off from a job and all looks hopeless and bleak. You ever heard that before? Someone? Yeah. They're laid off. Looks hopeless and bleak. The church and other Christians come through. Some friends pick up groceries for them and drop them off when no one's at home. Maybe they do it and someone is home. Some people go out and buy Christmas gifts to provide a Christmas for them, drop them off on the porch when no one's there. Or maybe... Someone drops off the presents at the church and says, this bag of presents is for such and such, and this is where they need to go. Others pray. Some people take them food. Some point them to a job, and some people help them with their resumes to get that job. Some give money, and some give more money. 
frequently and anonymously without anyone else knowing. That's God being your family. God's family is your family. That's God providing. That's God meeting the needs of the people. That's God providing the food, providing the clothing, providing the raiment. As Jesus said in Matthew 1929, or 1929, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Here's a clinching question. Even if we choose to disregard the truth that God is for us, Jesus points out that our futility or our worry, asking in Luke 12, 25, who of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? Now, joke about it, and it's really not that way as much anymore. And There's a few people in here that can relate. Um, I used to be, I was dying all the time, okay? Like, I just knew I had whatever it was. If I heard the word, I was looking it up because I had the symptoms, okay? Um, And I can laugh about it now. It wasn't funny then. Um, But that's what I was doing all the time. Worrying... Adding a single hour to my life. You know, the Bible says it's very clear we all have an appointed time to die. Okay? Appointed time. We don't have any control over that. God is the one that holds that in his hand, not us. But at the same point in time, we try that. If Jesus' positive spiritual encouragement to trust God fails, then Jesus is not afraid to get brutally honest. And the honest truth is this. Worry and anxiety doesn't work. It never has and it never will. Now, as I look around this room, some of us, we go back a long time. We've been around each other for a long, long time. And then you think about the places that some people have been. And they're not there anymore. God's taken them through. Luke 12, 26 says this, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Anxiety says, my fate is my own hands. It's all up to me. It's all in my own hands. It's all up to me. That's what worry and anxiety says. It's all up to me. I can do this. I can handle it myself. With that kind of thinking, there's no wonder we remain wide awake at three in the morning. Been there. Not only does anxiety fail to produce any positive results for us, it often does the opposite, draining us of life itself. Those who are anxious or worry about debt, for example, are high, at high risk of ulcers, migraine headaches, 
severe anxiety, severe depression, heart attacks, muscle tension, losing their temper, having trouble sleeping or concentrating. Do you hear those symptoms in the United States today? All the time. Worry kills. Worrying kills. Here's a paragraph that tells it well. It tells the story of a man who met death on the way to, his, to a far country. Death told the man he was going to kill 10,000 people in a city. And he went on. Later, the man met death going the opposite way and pointed out that he had heard that 70,000 had perished. I only killed 10,000 people, death responded. Worry and fear killed the others. Worry and fear killed the others. We cannot control life, so we should not worry. Of course, we're all called to plan and work, but we must leave the results to God. Where this message comes from really is from being somebody who has struggled with anxiety and depression. Uh, Just the other day at work, um, I have some young people who are new, and uh, they don't really get how I function yet. And I'm a weird bird. I function a certain way. And um, what they did is, They stuck a tray on one side of me and stuck another tray on the other side of me. And all of a sudden, the best I can put it is, like, I was being smothered, okay? Like somebody had a pillow over my face or I was a caged animal. And needless to say that my veins, my eyes, and everything. And what happens is, I'm saying that because you, you may not be able to even relate to that. But it's real, and that's what happens to me. It's like it was just a stupid cart. I just shoved it out of the way, and go, but that's also why I sit where I sit, okay? I don't want boxed in. And, and so what happens, I'm sharing that because what happens is you may be made a certain way, and in the way that I'm made is the way God has wired me, but what happens is I can be a worrier. I can be... Full of anxiety. And only God. And God's the one that's helped me with that. Through the years. Um, but. I put here. Of course we are called to plan and work. But we must leave the results to God. Because in my mind. See all the time I'm a planner and a fixer. I'm going to fix it. I, I know how to fix it. And then when it's not fixed. And then I'm. I'm bugged by that. I worry about that. This is because the results, no matter what self-made Americans may believe, are ultimately out of our hands. The best laid plans and men can fail while God can bring us to unbelievable and undeserved heights. Amen? Now, this might sound strange to you, but I remember when uh, we first opened up our salon, and I had given my life to the Lord, I remember going in 
And I remember, are you ready for this? Pleading the blood. Over, and we, I actually went around to like the entranceways. Pleading the blood and also giving the business to the Lord. Saying this is God's business. And as I said earlier, then I find myself back. If it's God's business, then why do I have my hands in it like that? But that's what we do. We go back. We are not in control of our lives, and that's okay. See, that's a hard thing to understand. We are not in control of our lives, and that's okay. Actually, it's a good thing. In fact, our lack of control means we should worry not more, but less. Do you understand that? When we let go, we should not worry more. We should worry less. Children have little to no control, yet few display symptoms of anxiety. They don't have anxiety. They have the least control and probably the fewest worries ever. There's a reason that babies sleep like babies. They don't have any worries. No worries. Without the burden of responsibility, they don't have a care in the world. They don't. To drive home the point of God's unimaginable concern for his children, Jesus next tells us to look down. Turning from his high-flying bird creations to the humble grass of the fields and beneath our feet. In Matthew 6, 28 through 30, Jesus points out how our Heavenly Father provides wild flowers to just decorate the ground more beautifully than Solomon in all of his glory, which we talked about earlier. So all of a sudden, he's telling us to look down. Look at the, the splendor. This is simple yet profound and demonstrates God's provision that it's sovereign and it's unasked for and it's free. Sovereign, unasked for, and it's free. See, God's not a miser seeking to uh, hoard his goodness. It's in his very nature to share his best, to hold nothing back. We're the ones that hold back. We're the ones that hold back. So I'm going to bring it to this close. If we meditate on these facts, it should bring great assurance that even if we don't receive everything we want, we will get everything we truly need. And what that is is God himself. Because see, what we do is we see, and go back to the closet, or the trend. We want to fill the closet. I mean, most of us, if we go and you look and see how many pairs of shoes that we have. And you think about what they wore in the desert. And we go out and buy shoe after shoe after shoe after shoe. Dress after dress after dress. Suit after suit. Tie after tie. Even if we don't receive everything we want, we'll get everything we truly need, which is God himself. 
I want to bring this to a close simply by asking that the lights be turned down. And as they play some music, I want you to think about yourself and where you find yourself today as far as worry and anxiety, as far as being in control of your life or what you think is in control of your life. I want you truly to ponder the question of who or what you fear most in your life. I found it interesting this morning when pastor was preaching about who we're to fear, knowing that I was planning on preaching about everything we do fear. The reality that we put ourselves in, which really isn't reality because I told you that statistics show that 85% of what we think is going to happen never does. So as uh, the sound booth plays music, I would ask that you give to God the fears and the worries of life, of work, your children, your family. Your debt. Your sickness and your illness. And I would ask that you put it into God's hands.